0: Hi everybody. It's Jonah Polone, and welcome to Owner Operated, conversations with small business millionaires. If you're interested in learning about the stories of American small business owners and why small business is great for our country, this is the podcast for you. In my role at Midstreet helping people sell their companies throughout the Southeast, I've been fortunate enough to get a behind the scenes look at the lives and organizations of hundreds of business owners. I created Owner Operated to let you in behind the curtain. Follow me on this journey and subscribe to my newsletter at jonahpallone.com. All right, Trevor, Alex, thanks so much for being on Owner Operator. I really appreciate it, guys. Yeah. Can you, let's start with, um, before we get into it, give me a brief background on you guys, what it is you do, and why are you here? What do you do, Trevor? Let's talk about you. I am. Uh, I do business development for Old Raleigh
1: Financial Group, and uh, it's primarily my role. And I've been doing it now for about six years, and I joined this distinguished gentleman here about six, a little over six years it's ago. It's been that long? <laughs> yeah.
0: God.
1: And we absolutely love what we do and have a great time. Mm-hmm. And um, I've known Alex for 20, going on 20 years, and he's been part of my family, really, and uh, – so now we're we're just having a ball with
2: trying to help people manage their wealth. So that's what we do. Yeah.
0: That's awesome, guys.
2: Alex? I've been in the brokerage business in Raleigh since nineteen eighty three, long before you were a twinkle of somebody's eye, Jonah. And uh, been managing money for people for a long time. We love it. This is by far our best gig that we have going on right now. And we just we have a lot of fun and we meet lots of cool people and it's just I'm very
0: honored to be doing it. So, talk to me about what it is you guys do. You manage people's money, obviously. What does that entail? What does that mean for the person who doesn't know anything about financial advisory? What is that? What do you guys do?
2: So, so typically, typically our our clients going to come in, and they will have accumulated financial relationships over the course of their life. They might have four or five. We've we've fired up to eight different other financial providers in in consolidating somebody's assets. And they've gotten a little bit older, a little bit busier, a little less inclined to deal with all this stuff, probably don't know how all their assets are playing together. And so we kind of consolidate all that and we help them understand that they're probably we we eliminate duplication. Most cases, we lower fees and we make more tax sense for people at the end of the day. And also, you know, as people age, they want to go do other things, not sit around and worry about their money. So we do the worrying for them.
0: Got it. So who's the typical, you know, describe a typical client for you guys and what does that look like? Is it a business owner? Is it a family who's accumulated, you know, wealth throughout their career? All the above. Yes. Yeah. What would you say the breakdown is for you guys and kind of where you place your focus?
2: I mean, typical clients probably going to be north of 45 years old up to 80 some years old, but we are dealing with a lot of second generation wealth now. You know, people like yourself, the younger that, that, have tried all the hype and now they want to really just accumulate wealth. So I guess that does that. I don't know if that answers your question, but I don't say our business is centered around business owners versus any other kind yeah. of people. It's just tends to be people that have a need.
1: Yeah. I think there's a couple characteristics. One, they're long-term investors. Mm-hmm. So, cause we align that way. We were primarily equity investors. So it's a long game. And they understand that and it's a temperament to understanding that Two, They, they need a who to, t- to take care yep. of their, I don't know, maybe you can explain that sentiment, but it's so, a good sense. So
2: a concept that I was interested in, introduced to actually by strategic coach and that was who's your who. And so all of us, when we start a project, whether it's landscaping the front yard, Painting the laundry room, whatever it is, we all sit around and go, okay, how am I going to get this done? And the concept that I was introduced to is not how am I going to get this done? Who's going to get this done for me? And so I do what I do really, really well. I don't do any of those other things very, very well. So I always like to surround myself with great who's. And so I like to, uh, we like to be the right who's for people that need us in that lane of their financial
0: Got it. So, say somebody calls Old Raleigh. They say, hey, I need some financial advice. I'm looking for help. I'm in my 40s. I've been had a successful career looking to place my money. I'm worried about inflation. I'm worried about long-term taxes, et cetera. How does that work from then on in your, in your firm? Who takes it? You guys have four total. Is that right? Four?
1: Yeah. So, what's the process
0: basically? Yeah. Like what's the process?
1: Yeah. So, Somehow they come through the pipeline and we nurse pipelines just like I'm sure you do and many business owners do, right? For sometimes it's lightning in a bottle and sometimes it's years. But the basic, you know, it's a conversation. And it's not just one conversation, it's just a series of conversations that if you really have a great relationship with somebody, that's what it's all based on, because the plan is a conversation, right? That's kind of what that goes. But we are we bring them in, review their stuff, analyze, come back to them. Look, this is what we, all the points you just made, taxes, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes we get right into building on a plan. But, you know, we're also sorting through looking at them saying, hey, are they going to be a fit? Because kind of like you always say, there's just so much room on your boat, right? And that you want the right people.
2: Where somebody sweets on the ark.
1: Yeah. But a lot of email summaries, every meeting gets an email summary. And that goes over what's going on. Because people, a lot of people just don't know. They just don't know. And that's why they hire us, right? So a lot of documentation, Our operations person, uh, Kathy Duckworth, has been with Alex and Blake for a long time, and she runs all the paperwork. And then Alex and Blake do most of the investing, and, you know, that's a decision-making process that we go through with the client on what to do based on their risk tolerances. And then it's typically meet a couple times a year, and they can call whenever they want. And so on a highlight level, that's kind of what the process is. It's helpful. I don't know if I
0: missed anything major, but. So say an owner, say a business owner comes to you because this podcast is really about small business, Mm -hmm. right? Say a business owner comes to you and says, hey guys, I'm looking for my number. I I heard about this in a podcast. I was reading a book about it. There's this new concept of fat fire and fire, financially independent, retire early. They're looking for their number and they say, hey, can you help me with this? How do you guys come up with that number? I've heard, you know, get to a number so that you can have a 5% withdrawal every year. Is that is that really a thing? You know, talk through how that so practically works for you guys. What
2: we do with people is we we use a process called Monte Carlo and, and what we do is we'll take somebody's finances and put them out on a screen and say, okay, what is it that you think you want to spend in retirement versus what your assets are? And we will stress test that scenario over a thousand plus different stock market scenarios from like the very worst to the very best. And we'll give them what an outcome is. And obviously, if they don't, you know, if they haven't reached their number, they're going to run out of money before they run out of life. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and most of the people we're dealing with don't have that problem. They're going to run out of life before they run out of money. So then the conversation becomes about love and money is love. And you want your love to end up or should end up at the end of the day. So that's another big part of the equation. You know, what what needs do your your next generation have that we need to be start thinking about, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Sounds like too much quote that I heard from Jim Rohn about too much month at the end of the money. sounds like the exact same thing. Jim Rohn was
2: a great guy.
0: Yeah. So how do you come up with that number though? So you sit down with the owner, what are you requesting? So they're saying, I have this much, you know, this is how much I'll need in retirement. Are you helping them say, okay, well, you'll need a couple more years of this much income to hit that and then you can retire.
2: We can certainly show them that we can also most people i think typically in retirement spend more at the beginning than they think they're going to and then less in the end Mm. than they think they're going to so depending on the circumstance but you know people are excited to retire so they do a lot of traveling etc etc and then they kind of settle down they become a little bit more sedentary maybe family and being home is more important to them etc etc so you know, we've kind of watched a lot of retirements take shape over the years and a lot of people have compounded a lot of wealth and so compounding is a really powerful thing that Jim Rohn talks about as well and most people well done they can't outlive their compounding you know, we just got to make sure that they don't outlive their compounding and you got to plan for the unexpected you got to plan for a long-term care event you got to plan for an early death you got a plan for that sort of stuff in case something goes wrong. I mean, I think the big thing for us in interviewing someone is we we always want the spouse to know that if something happens to the breadwinner, that he or she is not out shopping for a financial advisor. So we've got we've got it covered, we've got a plan, the family's in on the plan, mm-hmm. and go from there. You know, if, if people won't cooperate on all those steps, they're probably not a great fit for yeah. us.
1: And I just want to add that we do develop a pretty granulated, very granulated financial plan for them. So we can build them a net worth statement, including your business. So if you have a basket of equities and you've got real estate, you can put all that into one login. Because a lot of people are just like, what am I, what's my number? You were to a point? Yeah. How big? Well we can put all that in one spot. So that's huge. And then we can model out every pretty much any scenario to his point with Monte Carlo, but we can put in Living expenses, you got to pay for weddings, you got to put a new roof on, you got to take, take the awesome, you know, trip that you've always wanted for right. 50 grand. Like yeah. model it all in, you can buy the boat. We have a, a great story of a client like that we helped them through the process of buying a boat, which was a lot of money and an emotional decision. But when you can see it in the plan and it's rational and you have a conversation over it, now you can diffuse any emotional issues that you may be dealing with within, within the framework of your family. Yeah, And the other thing is you can start planning for what good you want the money to do. I had a conversation with somebody last week. You're wealthy, man. It's all good. You're going to sell your business. You're going to be more wealthy. But now what good do you want it? Your kids are done. Your grandchildren. And what good do you want
0: it? Do you guys deal with any
2: charitable remainder trusts at all? We have dealt with charitable remainder trusts. Mostly use donor advised funds where most people, I think the charitable remainder trust tax law has gotten kind of stinky and weird. But the donor advised funds where people give away appreciated securities, you know, to your point, it's amazing to me how many people don't have a net worth statement that's accurate or current. Yeah. And, and it amazes me how many people don't know the joy of giving away appreciated securities or assets, even even to the point of a business, part yeah. of a business.
0: This is a big, a couple of points I was just thinking about that I really want to get into. So the first question would be, and I've talked to a couple of financial advisors about this. so I'm curious to hear your take. Wait. wait, wait,
1: wait. You've talked to other financial advisors.
0: <laughs> Alex? <laughs> Alex. All right, we're done here. Come out of here. Guys, don't leave. <laughs> so so when, when does it make sense to start working with a financial advisor? And that's a general question that I'm just going to hit you with. When does it make sense? I mean,
2: I think everybody should get financial advice. It gets back down to your who concept, you know? And most people, it's kind of like – doing your own dental work, you know, it, they're not very good at it, you know, and men, you and I tend to doctor ourselves. We tend to be our own great self-doctors, <laughs> you know, it's probably best left to professionals. I think money management, I think health, food, and money are three things that are better outsourced to, to people that are good.
0: Health, food, and money. So, So, I am 23 years old. Let's say let's let's take me out of it. Say I'm a 25 year old man. I'm making, say I'm making six figures, right, hundred thousand dollars, hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, and I live in a moderately moderate cost of living area. I don't know, say Raleigh, for example. I'm doing my own plans at this point. I've made Excel sheets. I kind of know how much money you know to put away for what I want to do. I'm thinking about taking on financial advice, but I also want to have. I want to buy real estate. I want to invest in private equity. I want to, you know, maybe there's other private things that I want to do. How do you guys balance public equities with folks' own, you know, maybe they have business interests, real estate, et cetera? How do you balance that?
2: Well, most people, and especially the people you deal with, their biggest risk point in their in their lives is their business. It's what they know the best and it's also their greatest risk point. Mm-hmm. It's also where they can tend to be blind. They can be blinded by the joy of that business. Okay, So I always tell people, let's build the triangle. So your business is at the top. It's the biggest piece of your wealth. It's also the greatest risk point you have. So then we build below that. Generally, equities are going to have less risk than small business ownership. Generally, you're not going to get the returns that you get in small business ownership in equities either. Sure. As far as private equity and that sort of stuff, the problem with all that, that it's fine and it's great. It's illiquid. A lot of times younger people can't stomach that kind of loss or they don't realize what kind of loss that means. And then the other thing is as far as real estate, I you know, I own real estate, et cetera, et cetera. But if you look at the returns on real estate, you know, in normal times it's in the high single digits. And so in normal times, equities tend to do better than that. So, I mean, I show people all that and then they can make decisions that, you know, make sense for them. And there's very inexpensive ways to own real estate without the hassle of owning real estate.
0: Like REITs and things like yeah, that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And they've got these new funds out, the, yeah. the crowdsourced funds. Yeah. So I'll push back on that a little bit. Sure. am I'm, I'm in this boat where I'm thinking that – I'm making these considerations myself about where I want to put my money Mm -hmm. and I have some in the public markets, but I'm not, you know, to your point, I'm not super familiar with that. So I've Mm -hmm. been throwing it into VTI (laughs) and I'm trying to figure out the next move. For me, looking at buying maybe a single family house that I can live in and start transferring my rent payment to a mortgage makes a lot of sense. That
2: makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Put
0: out the five benefits of real Mm -hmm. estate, cash flow, appreciation, depreciation, write off interest, write off equity buildup the returns are way bigger than if I put that money into the stock market and kept paying rent in well, that scenario.
2: So that's true, except in the normal times, you know, I think everybody owning, I think homeownership is really smart. I think it's smart for people like you. I think it's just a certainly, I know, I can tell you exactly how much money you're going to make renting. I can tell you to the dime <laughs> what you're going to walk away with. Okay. Yep. So, Owning a house, generally, you're going to at least break even. You know, in the kind of crazy times we've been in where people are making ungodly Mm -hmm. appreciation, et cetera, et cetera, everything reverts to the mean. Mm -hmm. And this, too, will revert to the mean. So, you know, I like residential real estate to live in. I'm not wild about it for any other reason.
0: To me, it's just the benefit of equity buildup that you pay for kind of right up front that gets paid down by Renting and Yeah, it's a
2: savings account. It's a great savings account. Are you gonna go out and make a bunch of money, especially in kind of an inflated environment like we have now? Probably not. Yeah. But you know, you you will probably at minimally break even.
0: And the way I'm looking at it right now is it's really like I, I used to think, okay, I need to really find properties that cash flow a lot and I'm gonna big You know, build a big empire of real estate properties that cash flow. And I think that's a solid opportunity for some folks. For me, it's more about – it's kind of like a wealth preservation tool. And a lot of these owners that I see who have owned businesses who they own the real estate – you know, that they own the real estate for, that's exactly what they've used it for. And they've paid paid it down over 15 years and now they own the entire real estate and it's worth so much. So – it's interesting. I'm, I'm trying to push back on you for your take. No, I mean, I think,
2: you know, someone like yourself buying a house versus renting is is a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. That's an absolute no-brainer. As far as real estate beyond that, again, who's your who? Yeah. And where do you want to spend your time? Yep. You know, and if you want to spend your time doing that because it's going to take some of your time. Sure. Again, you got to stay in whatever lane you think is going to make you the most amount of productive return.
0: Yeah. Well, that's good advice. Okay, let's switch gears a little bit. Talk about sort of the the best and the worst. And from that, I mean the some of the best successes you've seen being in the business and some of the, the biggest failures and sort of what, what – were there any themes related to those just for successful business owners or you – know, let's stick to business owners for the sake of this podcast, but there, if there are any family examples that were really relevant, we can talk about those too. What are some of the best successes you've seen and, and sort of principles that – helped those people get to where they are today?
2: You know, I think the best successes we've seen are people that have accumulated wealth over time. They've been patient. They haven't done anything crazy. They've probably spent less (coughs) than they made. It was pretty simple. And the only problem with people like that is now they get to the end and they really should spend some money. And as I say to them, you better fly first class because if not, your kids are definitely gonna be flying first class. And you can't get them to do it. It's hard to break the mentality. Yeah, I see um, that a lot. Yeah. So, and that I'm sure that's very true with business owners because mm. I certainly have a lot of them as clients. The other, you know, the failure side of it tends to be human behavior. People start with too short a term view. They spend too much money. They get sold on some bill of goods on some flash in the pan thing. And we, we've seen stories like that. Over the years,
1: yeah. The only thing I'd say to expand on that is the failures. Just to kind of one is people who point that Alex made earlier is we see a lot of people who panic out in market turbulence. Mm-hmm. That's a telltale sign that they're that's not good because it just it's a long game. Mm-hmm. Longevity, especially in Raleigh, North Carolina, is going to be you know we we live in a mecca of health here, healthcare, and it's not uncommon now to to hear people live to 100. yeah, And it's a big issue, and people, to his point, don't get started early enough, and then oftentimes get pigeonholed into products. He started the interviews, what do we do? Well, there's four or five different, if eight, up to eight, maybe sometimes more service providers that would include sometimes inappropriate investments. Given the situation, it's just the wrong – it's just a misfit. So we have to recalibrate everything, you guys. The real risk is actually this. You know what I mean? It's a lot of really, oh, I didn't realize that that was – yeah, that's the real risk, whatever it is. So really, risk management is a huge, huge part of it. It really is because people think that the things they think are risky are not. It's actually opposite. Yep. And, I, and for compliance purposes, I can't really talk too specific about that. But my point is, is that you, you see what I'm saying? I do. You, your job is to tell them the things that they don't know because what they don't know oftentimes is the crux of the relationship.
0: Yeah. And are you seeing, you know, with somebody that comes to you and says, hey, I've got a certain amount of money to invest and, and you guys talk through a plan and, and help make recommendations – are you guys helping them with sort of like a lump sum investment typically, or is it more like dollar cost averaging? How do you, how do say it's, people- it's a
2: combination of all those mm. things? There's no, there's no typical, you know, typically, like I said, we fire four or five competitors every time we bring a client on, but there's no, I mean, we certainly, people will certainly add money to their accounts, especially when they're happy. So that's a good thing. I'll tell you as an aside story on what your successes were. I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. So, I had a client of mine, been a client of mine for 30 years, one of the nicest people you'd ever want to meet, has equities that massive appreciation in them. It's been in the market forever and ever and ever. And right in the middle of COVID when the market swooned, he called me up. He says, I can't take it anymore. Sell me out. And I said, so what you're saying is you want to take 30 years worth of capital gains and liquidate them because the market's done. That's right. I just can't can't stomach this anymore. And I said, okay. And this is a gentleman well into his 70s. So I said, well, before I sell you out, I said, can I get your four-year-old grandson's phone number? He goes, what are you talking about? I said, well, this is really not your money anymore. I said, this money is going to fund probably his son's or somebody's son's college education, et cetera, et cetera. And I want to call him up and ask him if he wants, you know, the cash that grandpa's selling out today at the bottom of the market or the equities that the, in 15 years or 20 years from now when grandpa's gone. And he goes, I hate you, and you laugh at me.
0: Yeah. And he kept his money. Yes.
1: And sent us Uh, more on the Ben Next dip, um, by the way. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, that's it. Those are the kind
2: of stories that you just have to tell people. You have to hold the reality mirror up to people. Mm -hmm. And the greatest line, the greatest story is is having that conversation with people about this is not your money anymore. And they're like, what do you mean it's not my money anymore? You know, let's look at the future of this money because today it doesn't matter.
1: Yeah, because there's there's three clients in one client. There's present client who, frankly, like we're all like if you're fine, like you're, you got, you got housing you you're fine. Then there's future, right? Right, and then there's who do you want to be a hero to? So there's really three clients in one client, mm-hmm. and that's a, that's a key component. And I also want to say to the business owners out there, you know, you, there's probably a big pool of business owners who have never had equities. I don't understand it. I had money. You know, we hear this all the time. I had money with some guy. Some guy he, like lost it. I right? bought a stock once. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know. Oh. <laughs> I bought Disney. I got, bar- you know. Yeah, right. That's not. That's not. That's not investment. That's not, that's that's not what we do. Okay. Please jump in on this. But it's a huge point to make that, you know, if you're looking. F- equities can play a awesome role in your plan. Mm-hmm. And if you've never had them. And by the way, John D. Rockefeller, arguably the architect of industrial titans in the United States of America played the market. People, he was in the market his whole life, whole life, didn't actually do that well. Had a bunch of financial advisors, so it plays a role. That guy owned everything, <laughs>
2: you know what I mean? Right? He owned everything at one point. So there's a difference role.
0: between speculation and investing. Exactly. How would you guys define? Yeah. It?
2: Well, most people don't build portfolios that speculate. They get a tip. Or they get the wrong information at the wrong time and they act on it and then they get emotional about it. And they also think if they own the stock, it'll never go down again. Mm-hmm. It's it's the funniest thing I explain to people. The market doesn't know you got in. <laughs> yeah,
0: But you see this happening more and more, especially today with things like Shiba coin, whatever, all these different kind of one-off investments. That people say, you really need to get in on this. It went up 400%. Yeah. It went up 1,000%.
2: That is pure speculation. Exactly, and- Because there's nothing backing that up.
0: Yeah. And I, I worry about
2: that whole, I mean, I'm just scared to death of this whole Bitcoin. Cryptocurrency. Mm -hmm. I'm just scared to death of it. I just, I've been in the business long enough to see stuff like this come and go. This is the worst I've seen. Mm. The other thing that's important about stocks that most people never talk about is a rising stream of income. And so, you know, it's kind of like your business owners. They can relate to this. They probably, if they've been in business for a while, they probably making more and more money every year if they're running their businesses correctly. Yeah, And so stocks do the same thing. You know, it's easy. stocks should be an easy transition for business owners because all they're doing is buying a bunch of businesses where they don't have to show up. They don't have to worry about the employees not being there. They don't have to worry about any of that. And then the, those equities get run through a number of filters before they reach them. And so, the other thing that those equities do, well-positioned, well, well positioned is they give a rising stream of income. Mm-hmm. And so think about your CDs and everything. When was the last time you saw a rising stream of income other than out of your
0: business mm-hmm. in anything? And we may not be able to go here. So if we have to edit it out, we can. But in terms of dividends, I invest in stocks that have dividends. I've got a stock called Maine, which is from Jeff Baxter, actually. Recommended it to me. It's a it's called Main Street Capital Corp. It's more of a smaller cap stock, mm-hmm. but they pay a nice dividend. Mm-hmm. But the dividend, as I understand, it, is tax and ordinary income. Mm-hmm. Here's my problem with IRAs and four hundred one ks, and I would love to get beat up on this if you have a really strong opinion about it. I'm twenty three years old, and those things cash out fifties, sixties, depending on the the device or you know the, mm-hmm. the function. I can't wait that long to like I don't. I'm really impatient with that. I want to use my money now. Even if it's in an investment, I want to invest in something now so I can build it through that. I don't want to wait until I'm 65 to cash it out at this stage of my life. Hmm. Okay. So let's talk about that.
2: First of all, I think the greatest gift since sliced bread to you and pretty much anybody, I'm a big proponent, is the Roth option. Okay. A guy like you can put, what is it, $19,000 or whatever into a Roth 401k. Where, basically, you've, you've, you're you you not taking the tax deduction now, that money's growing and compounding tax-free for you, and if you hang on to it for five years, you can basically get past any penalties on it. Really? Yes. So, you know, if you pull it out prior to 59, you probably have to pay some tax on the interest or whatever, mm-hmm. but... You should be able to overcome that. The other thing is, you know, you have a couple different types of accounts. You can have a taxable account where you say, all right, I'm going to pay tax on whatever I invest in every year. And then you that's completely liquid. You don't have any of the IRA withdrawal type issues. And then, you know, the, the smartest thing I did when I started in the brokerage business at 22. It's kind of a funny story because I could not even get in the 401k because I don't think they let you in till you're 23 or 25 or something. So we used to have a joke. We used to have a joke that my account went in my paycheck went in my dad's name so, so it could get invested. <laughs> but, you know, if you build all these things together and put them together in the right thing, then you've got enough liquidity for whatever your needs are. You know, it's kind of like, are you going to go sell your house if it drops 5% in value? Not getting out. Okay. But yeah, you can do that with a stock because you look at it every four seconds.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, and that's that's what hurts people is instant liquidity. It's a great feature of equities. It also is what hurts people's because we all have a one minute attention span.
0: Mm-hmm. I'll be me included. Hey,
2: the only thing
1: I would say on that is yeah. I think your your pool of investments, there should be no there's nothing wrong with having a taxable account with, with yeah. you know, it's a great thing. And then you have your tax. Def- you have all your retirement accounts, and it's at that point. Listen, flash forward to you fifty years yeah. ago. Your problem is not going to be wealth; it's going to be taxes. If I were to look at you personally, that's the problem, and that's the problem, really, right? That mm-hmm. business owners who are getting to that point. of What do I do? Is a lot about taxes. It's not so much yeah. about what what the markets. The markets are, and the investments are just a component. They're the engine, one part of the engine to your wealth, right? Mm-hmm. But taxes and getting that all tightened up and if you've had the same CPA for 20 years okay is that person going to be around for the next five years you want to look at that your financial advisor should be helping you through that process of finding professional services people if you need them and working in concert with that CPA mm-hmm. because it's all about it's really not all about taxes; but it's a lot about
0: taxes. yep and so you guys work closely with CPAs to yes. yes. so, yeah. yeah, we'll get recommended yes benchmark we we'll got a lot all the time yep yep, yep. This show is brought to you by Midstreet Mergers and Acquisitions, a business intermediary based out of Raleigh, North Carolina that specializes in selling businesses generating $1 to $25 million in revenue throughout the Southeast. If you own a business and are considering an exit, check out their website and contact them at midstreet.com. That's M-I-D street Now back to the show. So let's switch gears just a little bit. Talk about diversification. This is something that I struggle with. A lot, of this, is,
2: <laughs> a lot of this is related
0: to me. I'll be honest. It's a selfish podcast. Yes. So diversification. We'll come back to do one
2: that's not about
0: you. Go yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Perfect, yeah. perfect. Round two. So I struggle with this concept of diversification for myself at this age. I don't have a family. That depends on me. It's just me. And I want to grow my wealth. And I've heard a lot of different things. What makes the most sense to me at this point is – Okay, if, I were, if I'm 23 and I have a basket with a bunch of eggs in one basket versus like a bunch of different baskets with one egg in them because I'm 23 and I don't have that much money, the effect of the latter is going to be way worse than the first. It's like what it seems to me, right? So like for example, if I were to buy a house in the next year or so, next couple of years, I wouldn't be able to buy that house if I had more invested in the market. And so it's situation and context dependent, but I have, I have issues with diversifying at this age – when I could be, I feel like, using that money to make further strides in the future. Say a business opportunity comes up where an owner says, hey, do you want to invest in this with me? And I say, okay, I, I'm comfortable with that risk. I'd like to do that. And I think that that would be you know, a much better investment than a public market item. Hmm. What do you guys say to that for folks who are a little bit on the younger side?
2: Well, first of all, <laughs> that's kind of a really complex question <laughs> that,
0: that went around in circles a few times. <laughs>
2: but. What what you know. We got it though. There you go. What yeah. I would say again is I think you're confusing diversification with type of accounts. And so I think you have a taxable account and you have some retirement accounts. And if you get a business opportunity to invest some money out of a business, you can always pull that money out of your taxable account, it's completely liquid to you. You gotta pay some tax on whatever gain loss you got there on that. And or lend against it. You well, assets, yeah, you can, bro- you can yeah, borrow against months, it yeah. too. So that's that's another possibility for you. But I I think you build a pool of capital. And that's what I think we need to work with you on is just build a pool of capital and keep building it. And every time the market goes on sale and you got some cash, put it in. Mm. Because any dip in the market for the next 20 years is a gift to you. Got it. Yeah.
0: Okay.
1: And, and you know, go back to your point. Yeah,
2: it's always good to have power to put into op-
1: opportunities. Okay, into the really risky thing in your life, which is your business, as the point. And we, and we wouldn't certainly advise somebody, oh, don't do that because that's your passion. Do it, of course. I think it's just every year, keep chipping away. Keep putting money in the market. Put mm-hmm. it in a
2: Roth if you've got it. Or just keep saving just, money. Yeah. Just and, keep building. And, you know, the, th- the thing about buying a business or buying business interest is it's a liquid it's not necessarily transparent. It's super risky. It, it has risks to it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you don't know what the fees are. You don't know what you're really paying for.
1: Yeah.
2: So, I mean, all those things kind of weigh in. I mean, I've owned a business. I know what that, I've owned a couple of businesses. I know what that's all about. And it is very rewarding. It's also can be very painful. Oh, yeah. You know, I think the other thing you should talk about, I'll, I'll, my ne- your next question should be, <laughs> what about sudden wealth? What okay. if somebody sells their business and this is what's been their baby for twenty or thirty years, and now they've got this money and they've never invested any money—that's scary. Yeah.
0: So, Alex, what about sudden wealth? Yes, <laughs> on this business for twenty yes, years. Yes, I never thought you'd ask me that question.
2: <laughs> you know, and I think that's where you really need a non-emotional who that's going to say, "Here's what we're going to—we're going to accomplish this together. We're going to get this done correctly." You're going to do an income stream or you're going to, you know, you're going to, we're going to invest this money correctly for you and more importantly for your spouse. So if something happens to you, your spouse is provided for, taken care of. He or she is not out shopping for an investment advisor.
0: Hmm. So this concept of staying liquid versus illiquid, you know, with this environment that we're in right now where there's a lot of news about inflation. Mm Mm-hmm. What are your guys' thoughts on where do you think we're going with inflation and how do you de-risk yourself against it?
2: Okay. Well, I think equities have always been one of the best inflation hedges in the world. And I can tell you that I heard a great story about this. You know, when you walk into the grocery store and you buy Lay's potato chips, okay, in an inflationary environment, you're buying Lay's potato chips. You might not even be paying more for them. But you know what? When you open the bag... There's, there's less there's customer. less of them in there because that company has pricing power and so they can price their product accordingly based on supply demand etc cetera, etc cetera. you may not feel it it may not be higher on your cost list but you're going to feel it when you open up the bag and so i think the cool thing is if you buy companies that have pricing power okay that's that's how you stay ahead of inflation because they're, they're raising prices. So you're an owner of a company that's raising prices and mm. raising dividends.
0: This concept of picking stocks versus sort of index funds, do you guys have a specific opinion on it or does that depend on the investor?
2: Historically, what I have found is that 80% of money is made being in the right sector at the right time. And so instead of buying the problem with an index is you own the whole index and a lot of that index is not owning any value not not adding any value to your portfolio so I'm much more in favor in calling out an index and staying in the parts of it that are working rather than owning the entire index it's kind of creating your own index yeah and then the other thing is you know there's two s and P's nobody knows that one is the cap weighted. S&P, which everybody knows about. That's the S&P that's on the news every day. There's also the equal-weighted S&P, where all 500 companies have an equal vote. And so a lot of times it's better to own the equal-weight S&P like this year up to just recently. Owning the equal-weight S&P has been much more profitable than owning the cap-weighted S&P, but you don't hear anybody talking about that. So- and you can look at, see, sometimes it's better to own one and rather than the other. And yeah. it can be pretty substantial. You know, up to earlier this year, if we were sitting in my office, I could tell you. But it was the equal weight S&P was about 5% ahead wow. of the S&P, which is a pretty big gap. Wow.
0: So circling back to the emotions of folks who come to you guys and say, hey, I'm confused. I don't know what to do. Is that the hardest part of your business, the emotional side?
1: It's it's one of them. Uh, again, it goes back to put who do you want on your boat? We tend not to attract, nor do we want the people that are of high emotion because they just they just generally don't make great long term investors.
0: Yeah. So the guy who um, called you on the phone though those situations must happen. Yeah. But that that gentleman,
2: longtime client, so I knew how to basically you know he just needed to have the reality mirror held up to him for a minute and. You know, I tend to do it with a little bit of sarcasm that's free, that's included in my services. But, you know, you have to, sometimes you have to get people out of their own way yeah. so they can achieve their
1: goals. And sometimes it's not even market related. Sometimes it's like somebody will call in and be like, get me out of my IRA. I got to do this with it. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, wait a second. Oh, there's tons of penalties. There's taxes. You might not want to do that. But people don't know. You know what I mean? It's like they don't know. They don't, they don't know. It's because it's not in their wheelhouse. And so things, you know,
2: yeah. But we're, we're in an Instagram world where everybody looks mm. at something for one second, mm. and then they make a decision, then they go on to the next one second yeah. thought.
0: So, Trevor, you and I have talked a little bit about your background. We've talked a little bit more than I have with Alex. Alex, wh- Trevor, what, what tell is us you, about you, Trevor, Alex. I've Trevor, done Trevor, enough of this? this. Why do you get in this picture? I have no idea. Tell me your story, Alex. How did you get started in this business? I was born a poor <clears throat> child in Rochester, New York, <laughs>
2: <laughs> the Casey capital of the world. Yes. So I went to school in, at uh, Babson College up in Boston and my senior year, true story, I walk into the mail room and I see Merrill Lynch is hiring interns. So I said, well, I don't really know what I want to do. I guess I'll go intern for Merrill Lynch for a year. So I went, worked at Merrill Lynch in Boston for a year for free, was a great- Not paid for free. Not paid. Was a great cold caller and errand boy and everything else. Of course, they would not interview me when my internship was over because I was too young to be in the business. Do you remember your script? Yeah, it was, it was Mr., Mr. Gronsky. We'd like to add you to our, uh, our mailing list. Is there any particular areas that you are, you know, would any of these areas be appealing to you? And so. Yeah. So it was fun. It was a, it was a great, it was a great job. I remember the guys I worked for, you know, every once in a while they'd slip me a $20 bill or something, (laughs) but it was a great experience. So I came out of college with Merrill Lynch. I also spoke Russian as a second language. So
0: I had Merrill Lynch and Russian on my resume. So quick pause, quick pause. Do you think people today would be willing to do what you went through? I wish they would. Do you have a feeling that that's sort of s- slowing down stopping people aren't as willing to put themselves out there i mean you just you described doing a job for free you got a few 20 dollar bills here and there you're cold calling you're running errands yep. yep
2: and so yeah but i walked out with merrill lynch at the top of my resume. Yeah.
0: yeah and the skill set of going through that rejection and why people
1: aren't doing that anymore is that what you're telling me are people so, your age not so much into it?
0: <laughs> I, don't know. I,
2: mean, I don't know. So the funny story is I interviewed with A.G. Edwards in Wellesley, Massachusetts, and I interviewed with A.G. Edwards, and he wouldn't hire me. He loved me, but he thought I was too young. So I interviewed with A.G. Edwards in Raleigh, and they only had three brokers at the time, and they said I was their experiment. So I came on in 1996. I was running
0: the office. And how old were you at the time?
2: So in 83, I was 22, and I was running the office in my 30s. Wow. And we built it into a top 10 out of 700 offices in the A.J. Edwards system.
0: And that's in Raleigh, so that's how you found your way here. Yeah, my
2: sister lived here, so I came down to visit her. Now, picture this. I'm from Rochester, New York, where the sun shines about three days a year. And I came down here, and there's three sunny days, and I'm like, This is awesome. I'm moving here. This is great. So I was, it's better to be lucky than smart. I was definitely lucky.
0: Walk me through, so you come down to Raleigh, you accept the job. Your first, I mean, this might be a while ago, but just, you know, talk through building up to the point where you were running the office. When you first came down, were you just making a bunch of cold calls trying to get your name into the community?
2: I used an address list that you could buy, buy zip code, buy income supposedly. And I would cold call people.
0: And you at this point, you had no relation to North Carolina whatsoever. None. I mean, I knew my sister and brother-in-law, and they didn't have any money. And
2: just I would work till 7, 8 o'clock, a lot of nights, calling people, talking to them, having conversations. Just calling people all day. Yeah. You know, mostly in the evenings. That was much more productive than calling them during the day. Got it. But, yeah, you know, built a business that way.
0: Was that ever humbling for you, getting on the phone and cold calling?
2: one story i said i was offering somebody some fund or something and i sent him a prospectus you had to send people prospectuses before you could really talk to them about the fund right so i sent sent the prospectus to him i call the guy back and he goes i said i just wanted to see what you thought of that fund he says i threw the prospectus away and i said that's good because really smart investors don't get bogged down in that stuff <laughs> exactly he hung up on me but I mean you know yeah the group's very humbling but I mean
0: dealing with that rejection
2: what what was funny was my a lot of my buddies out of college got much better jobs to start you know they're not laughing so loud right now you know so I you know it took me a few years but I got rocking and did very very well
0: I'm going through a similar thing and I, I guess I'll just leave it at that Where I'm trying to build my name in the community doing a very similar thing as that. First of all, what kept you going? Did you have goals? Were you – did you visualize yourself in a position? Were you just excited by the work?
2: Well, I was too dumb to know any better. You know, and I had no downside. Meaning, I had no downside. I had nothing. I had a brown Volkswagen Rabbit without air conditioning. (laughs) So, there wasn't a lot of – you know, there wasn't a lot of expense that was going on in my life. And so I just started building a business and I just worked at it, kept working at it, kept working at it until I stopped. I'm kind of still like that. I work I work pretty hard. I really do. I because I love it. I'm passionate about it. I also think, and this is your next question. Maybe you should run this podcast out. Well, I mean, I think I think the cool (laughs) thing about this job is we are part of a lot of people's families. And that is a position that you do not achieve easily. Or do you take it lightly? We were having the discussion our morning meeting today. We were talking about, you know, funerals are mandatory. Weddings are optional. And that is, if you have a client die, you show up at the funeral. You know, weddings, yeah, people have things. But, you know, it just shows great respect for clients.
0: Is that the most fulfilling part of the business for you, being part of their families?
2: Yeah, and the other thing that's really fulfilling is now I'm seeing... I had a young woman in my office yesterday. She, When I met her, she was probably four years old. Now she's pregnant with her first child, wow. married. I mean, you just can't... Yeah. You, you can't put enough joy on something like that. You know, you just... You, you can't. Uh, one of the women that works for me in my office, Katie, I met her... Her dad was one of my very first clients. And when I went over to see him... She was like two and a half, three years old, riding around a tricycle in the driveway, you know, in her diapers. You know, now she's working with me. So, I mean, wow. that sort of stuff. Yeah, you, you can't put money on that sort of stuff. Yeah, you
1: know? I don't mean to interrupt, but one of the things too, I will attest, he he's working the phones early and often and throughout the day. He's he's that guy. But the other thing is, I think that our our firm, and I want I think this will resonate. I hope this resonates with business owners. But we are always working on our business. First of all, we own the business. Okay, if you were going to kind of telltale signs of what kind of advisor should should a mm-hmm. dominant business owner want to work with, I would say, does the who owns the firm find that out, right? Because from that comes a little things. One, it tells you a lot about the persons that are running the firm because they're entrepreneurial. Number two, they're very much in control of their business. Mm-hmm. Okay, because we're in a, we're in an industry that has many sales channels. We are an independent registered advisor. And as such, we have control over business, which is super important. We check, we pick our tech stack. If we don't like a technology, we can just swap it out and put in a new one. We don't have to, there's no talking to some mothership company, you know, big bank or whatever to tell us what to invest in. It's not, This not how it rolls. Whatever we invest in, oftentimes, very often what what we present to our clients is investments we're in or some of our families, mm-hmm. you know, it's huge. So these are the types of checklists that I think that suddenly, especially business owners, I think just business owners just want to deal with people who, who control their businesses. It's yes. super important.
0: Entrepreneurs love yeah. other entrepreneurs. yeah than- 100%. Yeah. That mutual respect. Yeah. You, know, you guys understand what they're going through. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: yeah. I mean, cash flows, challenges are not fun. Not fun.
0: So let's let's continue with your story, Alex. Let's, let's so,
2: talk about you some more. <laughs> what other financial <laughs> questions do you have?
0: So, so just really quick. Building the business, making the calls, making your name in the community.
2: You know, it's kind of like running for president. Campaign. Maybe in the old days even, you know, where you're out shaking hands and kissing babies. A lot of it doesn't go anywhere, but 5% of it will make all the difference in the world. My greatest successes have always come from, oh, by the way. I had a client of mine. He was... His sister, he said his sister was having some issues down south somewhere, and he called me and said, hey, I'm heading down that way. I got to check on her. I'll be back. I said, okay, well, if you need anything, let me know. Oh, by the way, if you need something, let me know. Mm. He came back, and he goes, by the way, you said if I needed something to call you? I said, yeah. he's yeah, my sister's kind of starting to lose her mental capacity since she has $2 million sitting in her checking account. so." Yeah, I need some help. Wow. So, oh, by the way, so he's the master. Trevor is the master of having conversations with people. He's taught me to be much more conversational than I ever was. And I think if you just listen to people, they will tell you their Mm -hmm. whole story. You just have to be patient enough to hear it all out.
0: Were you more goal-oriented with conversations, more like, Step by step, I want to get these things done. What was your issue compared to what you just said? I'm, I'm, probably, the, I'm
2: probably the worst salesperson in the world. I've never – I've said I've written business plans. I really haven't. I just came into work every day and put my head down and went to work.
0: Just quantity.
2: Yeah. I mean, just – I mean, not, not necessarily quantity, but just – I just stayed focused on talking to people, you know. And, and if it was not a productive conversation, then we needed to disengage. Mm. But if it was a productive conversation, then I wanted to help people.
0: One of the biggest game changes for me that's been a recent sort of learning is I realized that, you know, probably as recent as six months ago, I would get on the phone and try to convince people of things. And my new philosophy is I'm just trying to find the people who would be interested in working with me. I'm not trying to convince people to do something that they're not supposed to they're – not, they're not interested in doing, they don't want to do for a certain reason. So if I talk to someone and they say they're not interested and their tone is sort of telling me the same, I'm on to the next person.
2: Well, the other thing like you and I have talked about in the past, 75% of the people you deal with do not have a succession plan, okay? So now somebody's been running their business all their lives – their spouse may not know anything about it or have any insight on what's going on. And boom, the proverbial bus runs over yeah. the partner. And now you've got a spouse. And that's not fair. I mean, money is love, and you have to protect love. And so yeah. people say they're not interested are not thinking very far ahead mm-hmm. because. Everybody needs a succession plan, and that's why a lot of businesses get fire-sailed, because they didn't have a succession plan.
0: Yeah, and they leave a ton of money on the table. Yep. So, as we wrap up here, a couple of last final questions for you guys.
2: Is this about you,
0: or? This could be about me, if you want it to be. Right. <laughs> Based on what I've told you about my situation, if we were in a session... What would you guys, what would we be talking about right now? What questions would you be asking me?
1: Bachelor number one. <laughs> first of all, I'd start with that income generating stock, <laughs> dividend stock. Why is this guy have a dividend stock? <laughs> I got to question that right away, right? I mean, like, I know. That, that's interesting, but the truth to be like, well, why do you have that? Why do you think you need that? Because that may not, you know what I mean, right? I mean, I,
0: I'm just looking for, first of all. Not a stock picker, not really yeah, interested clearly. in public <laughs> <market>. <laughs> It's true. I'm I mean, just it's kidding. True. No, just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. yeah, yeah. My specialization is going to be small business and real estate. That's what I'm yeah. passionate about and interested in. And the public market stuff is just, yeah. I'm Easy. not going to probably do that myself eventually. Yeah. Which is why I'm so fascinated to talk with you guys, to be honest. But why do I think I need it? It was recommended to me by Jeff, mm-hmm. <laughs> so do it. Who's no. sixty? <laughs> exactly. So there you go. I mean, I've always been taught that cash flow is king. That's what I've always been taught.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, in your case,
0: appreciation is king.
1: Yeah, because you're young. It's a long term cash flow. You're. This is a stupid, like sales, like gimmicky line. But you know, the most valuable thing that you have when you're 23. Guess this what it is? Time. Yeah. Yes. So you know. Your risk profile is different than Jeff's. Of course, that makes sense for him. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I know Jeff. That makes sense. But, and therein lies exactly why you, what our role in the whole thing is. It's like, mm, maybe what you're doing is maybe you haven't, it's not a bad idea. It's just like, let's look at it from another angle. And that's what I think you do in your business. That's what we do in our business. Yep. It's getting people to kind of put things in perspective. That's really our job, mm-hmm. I think.
0: Yeah. And, and it goes back to what you said, you know, f- hire the specialist for the things that you're not good at.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Who's yeah. your who? Yeah. yeah.
2: Who's your who? And, and I think that is, is huge. You know, there's so many good people that know how to do so many different things that you and I are not good at. And so why don't we just use them? Because their expertise is out there. Now, it might take me two or three. It might take us two or three tries to speak to meet the correct ones. You know, most people shift financial advisors five and six times over their mm-hmm. lifetime. But once you find them, I mean, I got a client's been with me for forty years, oh, almost wow. forty years. Mm. It's very much like a doctor. So.
1: Mm. Same kind of thing. It really is because yeah. you got to line up. And you know, back to your point about like. Part of the part of the prospecting thing going to come go back to yeah. you. Know, how you prospect? A lot of it is who you don't prospect to, yeah. and that's what you just went through. Yeah. You're only going now to the people you want to deal with because you don't have as much room on your on your arc as you think you do. You know, we also yeah.
2: we also have a saying: we can't save them all. No, no. If I give somebody yeah. the best late advice and they say, "No, you're wrong," I understand. I completely I w- agree. I wish you well. It's just not advice that you like. Yeah,
0: it's it's also like mentally freeing for me focusing only on the folks who
2: they're a lot more pleasant to deal with yeah people yeah. that need help
0: yeah and who who want it yep. who want it and it's also like a it's a mental thing it's i get up and i'm more eager to try to get in contact with those folks you know well this has been great guys anything else you think we missed anything anything that came to mind how do i find a
2: good business broker yeah
0: this is me interviewing <laughs> you <laughs> <laughs> we All talked right, about good. that already yeah we did We, we did. yeah
1: we did but uh yeah i mean thanks for
0: having us thank you guys for coming i really do appreciate it. it's been awesome learning about your story more trevor obviously great thank you for setting this yeah. up yeah. this episode of owner operated is sponsored by on tops roofing a family-owned and operated business servicing the triangle area of north carolina since 1991 With a long-standing commitment to quality work and customer service, OnTops has grown to be recognized as one of the most respected roofing contractors in the triangle. They offer roofing work, window replacements, siding replacements, and gutter installation services. Check them out at OnTopsRoofing.com. That's OnTopsRoofing.com. Thank you for listening to Owner Operated, conversations with small business millionaires. Be sure to sign up for my weekly newsletter at jonapalone.com, where I share the takeaways from each episode and share any resources or tips I find valuable. And if you like the episode, please leave a review on iTunes. It really does help the show grow. And send it to a friend that you think would benefit from it. Thanks so much.